You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Thank you, Mark, for that this morning. We have to tap into our, our token Jewish man there. We're grateful that you're here, my brother. We need some more. We need some more activated Jews around here. That's what we need. Some more that understand that Jesus is Messiah, but also have that that rooted history and in, in uh, what it means to be an Orthodox Jew and understanding a different uh, just has a different understanding of of God and as the Father. Those things. It was good. It was good. I thank you for that. Mark eleven. We're gonna be in Mark eleven. We're gonna read Mark eleven. We're gonna read Matthew twenty. Just a little blurb there. But those are tied directly to Old Testament scriptures there, Mark 11 and, and Matthew. The go- in all four of the Gospels, we have the, the Palm Sunday, the, the great... Uh, it just slipped my mind. What's that called? Uh, <laughs> the great entrance. Jesus entering into Jerusalem there. What's the word I'm looking for there, people? Help me out. Uh, triumphal entry. Thank you, all of you. Maybe we could read the Bibles more, and then uh, we would all have it. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself and maybe even a little ashamed of you too. But it's my fault for not training you better, I suppose. Uh, the point is, is that that triumphal entry, all four of the Gospels have that. All four of them very, very similar. All four amplifying, um, man, basically the same things, but all four of them also mentioning these, these two scriptures from, uh, from um, Psalm 118 and also Zechariah 9.9. Psalm 11 Uh, Mark 11, I'm sorry, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Is my microphone fading in and out? Am I I a problem here? Okay. Sounds like like the battery's going down. So today is the day that traditionally Christians would celebrate Palm Sunday. It was a big deal years ago. Now it doesn't seem to have near the, the influence that it used to do traditionally, especially in your Orthodox churches and things like that. Um, it was a big thing, you know, it is, it's the conclusion of Lent if you're Catholic, if you had a Catholic roots there. And, uh, you know, this time of fasting and the ashes on your Ash Wednesday and all that. Uh, it has, a lot of those are man-made traditions, but they're all pointing towards this triumphal entry of Christ coming into Jerusalem as the king. But the way he comes in such a humble way um, but it is very telling but what it's really doing is it's pointing us to Passover. And over time, as, as Christianity and you know Constantine and all that separated Passover from what was called Easter then, they changed it, kind of souped it up a little, had to make it Easter, had to get rid of the Jewish angle there of Passover. But the Last Supper that Jesus attended, and we'll see that this coming week, that was Passover. We're going to celebrate Passover this week on Wednesday. You're welcome to come. Uh, sign up like they said we'll have the meal together we're not going to do it exactly as a a true jewish community would do but because the main reason is we know who the lamb is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world we understand who he is jesus messiah yeshua hamashiach is the 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 messiah has come he's been completed we can see him in the shank bone we can see that none of his bones were broken we can see him in the bread i'm the bread of life we can see him in the wine the cup of redemption this is my blood shed for you. Uh, he says, he says, celebrate this until I come. Many Christians over time, we've celebrated communion over and over and over. He wasn't talking about communion. 
He was talking about Passover. He's like, I completed Passover. I'm here. Every time you do this, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. It was Passover that he was talking about. I completed it. And so this is the start of that, where he's coming into the city there on the, on the donkey. And uh, as he's coming in, it's all pointing to Passover. He's making an obvious entrance into the city, and we'll talk about that today. He says to keep that Passover feast for the generations. That's in Exodus 12. Keep this as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as an everlasting ordinance. Um, if we're still alive, then we haven't kept it till everlasting. Everlasting goes into eternity. And the very first thing we're going to do in eternity is we're going to celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. What do you think that is? I'd say it's very Passover-like. And we'll go there and have this big feast, and there'll be the Lamb there. But it'll be the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the earth and he'll be there in person and we'll see the marks on his hands the marks on his feet and on his head we'll see those there and we'll know that it was true everything we read it was true and he really did come and he really did die on the cross and he really was raised again to walk three days later he sits today at the right hand of the father making intercession for us today just like he said he would he did and he does forever and as he says to celebrate it I'm saying celebrate it. Paul celebrated it. Peter celebrated it. Christ celebrated it. Um, there's no reason not to. We have no reason not to do this in remembrance of him. So this is the beginning of that as we work our way through the week and get to it. It just so happens that Passover this year falls on a Wednesday. Sometimes it falls on the Sabbath, sometimes not. But in this particular year, it falls this Wednesday. So we'll, we'll work on that this Wednesday. We'll have a good time together eating, and it's a fun time. It's interesting. It's different. And... Um, <clears throat> you'll enjoy it. And we'll have Mark there to keep us straight. If we get off track, Mark, um, if we get too far off track, take me in the back and tell me. Don't embarrass, don't embarrass me in front of the kids, Mark. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Let's start in Matthew. I told you, Mark, but let's start in Matthew because I want to show you why he had to come in on the donkey. Up to this point, for about three years with the disciples, he's been keeping it on the down low except with them that he's going to have to die. He tells Peter, I'm going to die. And Peter says, may it never be, Lord. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. I have to die. I have to. I won't let you. Well, it ain't up to you. I have to. Matthew 20, verse 17. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Matthew 20, 17. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said, he gets his guys. These are the closest guys. Hey, come over here, guys. I got to tell you something. It's going to hurt your feelings. I need to tell you this. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he'll rise again guys come over here i'm gonna tell you something um is renette in here oh there she sorry honey i didn't recognize you she's back there um we had to give our kids some bad news that's what we had to do we had to take them aside we'll give you some bad news some stuff's gonna happen it's not gonna be good it's gonna be ugly that's what's gonna happen gotta prepare you right they don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole story. It's a long, it's a long race. We don't know how the race ends. The, 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 the apostles didn't know how the race ended. He's just telling them, hey, he, doesn't tell, he does tell them the third day he will be raised again. 
They know he's the son of man. They know he's God in the flesh, Messiah. Who do you say I am, Peter? Oh, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, don't tell nobody, Peter. They know who he is, but they can't tell anybody. And they're not really sure. And then as he comes into Jerusalem, it's not exactly like they thought it would be. As they drew near Jerusalem, verse chapter 21 in Matthew, and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs these. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude says, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Go to Mark 11. Mark 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they loosed it. Them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. He sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So they, they're over here, they're on the side, I got some bad news for you guys. I'm going here, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised again the third day. And then they go in, and it doesn't look like that at all. There's a whole bunch of people, and they are they're absolutely ecstatic something the work of the holy spirit going before something you know you know it enlightens their spirit or injects in their spirit or actualizes i don't know what the word is electrifies their spirit and something like scales falls from their eyes and they recognize that this is messiah this is the guy they told us about him he's been healing doing all these things this is him and they start doing the hosanna thing if we saw it, it was, there in, it was there in Psalm 118. We read it this morning because it's what Hosanna means. Verse 25 in Psalm 118, it said, Save now, Hosanna, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Hosanna. It's a big, it's, it's a cheer. It's a desperate cry. Save now, O Lord. It's a desperate cry. It's exciting, 
And it's, it's, uh, it's the cheering, remember that in, uh, oh, what was the one with Mel Gibson where he's a, a Scottish or Irish guy, you know, and, and they say, here's our chance, you know, Braveheart. And here's our chance, and we'll follow this guy, and, and they're all pumped up, let's go. And they go over there and just get beat down. <laughs> but, but they just knew he was the guy that's going to give them freedom, and they were, all, they were all following him, and they were, you know, he was encouraging them, and they're encouraging him, and he's riding back and forth, freedom, you know. Then he goes over there and gets captured and wasn't that free. But the point is, is it's the same story. It's the same picture. They see Christ coming in and he's got all this energy behind him and impetus behind him. And they're like, oh man, save now. This is the guy. Follow the skull. Let's roll. And they're all excited. And then they're not, they're not looking towards Passover. They can't see that far. We're, we're very simple in our seeing. But the first thing we've got to see in this passage, I guess, it's not the first, first of many things, a lot going on there, we won't cover it all. But what we can cover is, is that he gets this unbroken and uh, borrowed cult. I mean, he's the Lord of all, master of all creation, master of man and beast, both the tamed and the wild. We, if we looked in Job, we could see how much he cares for the wildlife. If we looked in Jonah, where he said there was this 120,000 um, people that didn't know their right hand from the left, plus all the livestock. God cares about animals. He does have a heart. It's, it's something that he enjoys. I saw one pastor gave a, a message, and it was a little kid asking, you know, is, is there animals in heaven? He goes, I hate to break it to you, honey, no. There's animals in heaven. Jesus comes out of heaven on a horse. There's animals there. God created animals. He loves animals. He likes animals. He's creative. He enjoys animals. He made you. You like animals right he likes to see us enjoy animals he likes animals this donkey was the lord's animal he knew this donkey from before the foundations of the earth and he had a purpose for this donkey and he likes animals he uses animals if you read the old tarzan books i don't know if anybody's ever read them it's not like the tv it's not like the shows at all like on the shows tarzan's friends with the animals and then he calls his friend elephant or his friend lion and they come to his bidding it ain't that way. If you read the old Edgar Rice Burroughs books, he, he manipulated the animals and he used their natural instincts and their natural desire to eat and things like that. And he pitted them against the, the, the bad guys in the series, which were the, the natives that he was always warring against. God is not that way. He uses animals for his glory. He loves his animals. It's not like he loves people, I'm sure, but he, he enjoys them. How about that? It's joyful to watch them do what they do, to be animals and enjoy being animals. But he takes this animal that's kind of known for being stubborn and obstinate, and that animal comes and it bows the knee to the Messiah. Never broken. It's young. And there was some, some things that were uh, interesting about that. Animals that were to be used for sacrifice were to be unbroken animals. If you're going to use the red heifer or you're going to sacrifice a heifer or a bull, they were to be unbroken. They were not to have pulled the plow. They weren't to have you know, harness marks on them from pulling. You remember those yoke? You used to see them hanging up in barns. Those two, that little double, they had the leather part that went over the head, and then they had the wooden part that went over it that they would pull with the trace chains. Uh, these animals didn't have these marks on them. These were clean animals. This donkey was in this way. It was an immature animal, a teenager donkey, and it was unbroken. And if you know anything about horses, uh, Renetta and I, we got a little a neighbor had a new uh, a little colt horse, Bull, colt, whatever you want to call it, over there going into our house. And uh, they're so cute running around. There is no meaner animal on earth than a, than a baby horse. They're just like a little kid when they're learning that they have teeth and they can bite stuff with it. 
There, man, they'll bite you, kick you, run over you, run, sit on you. They will hurt you. Um, you got to break them. You don't take a new baby horse and try to put a saddle on it. First, you put a blanket on it and watch it run away. Then you catch it again, and, you know, you work on it. That is a mean little critter, the old, the unbroken horse, the unbroken colt. And this, this donkey is the same way. But when the master touches it, it's a little pussycat. It comes over there and does the master's bidding because he knows he knows this donkey to its soul. And so it, and in the fact that he brings it in there, and it's just this humble animal, it's not a war horse, it's not a, um, Alva was telling me about, a, uh, he had seen this, this stallion at a thing, and it was just, if you've ever worked around big horses, and uh, particularly stallions, that's a mean, I mean, that's a colt that's just, they, they just grow up mean and stay mean. They're just, they're like a professional wrestler, they're just angry. And their nostrils are flaring all the time, and they're stamping and snorting, and if you get in there, you're going to get hurt. They, again, bite, kick, um, rear up, and, and trample. Jesus doesn't come in on a war horse. He doesn't come in on a stallion. He comes in on a donkey, a low animal for a lowly king. And, there's t but, and there was actually one other thing about the donkey that was kind of interesting. If you go to the Old Testament, go to the book of Judges, you'll see that it was a, it was a tool of the judges to ride on donkeys or to ride on, the one said, white asses. So these, these donkeys are those of the ass family, like jackasses and mules and those. It was for those, for the judges to ride. And it was a set-apart thing. It was, a, it was a, I mean, if you had any wealth, you're not riding a donkey. But you could have a lot of status as a judge. If you see a man on a donkey, you would assume he was a judge, particularly if he was dressed in a certain way. And that is so exactly what's going on here. Jesus is coming in to judge and be judged for the nations. And he comes in on a donkey, lowly, but as a judge. We don't see that very much, but that's what the point was, I believe. I don't believe that's an accident that he rode that. But remember this, that the donkey was borrowed. And it's only in the sense that the creator who owns all things loaned the donkey to himself. He loaned it to Mark. Mark gave him the donkey, he gave it back to Mark. That's what happened. This wave offering, it was an interesting thing we were, we were looking at this morning. How many people actually have a wave offering in their house? Well, you go in Mark's house, he's got a wave offering, front and center, man, in his living room. Cha-cha! I said, man, you need to bring your wave offering tomorrow, you know? The, the thing was, there was wave offerings with the Israelites. There was one called a wave and one called a heave offering. It's Leviticus chapter 7. If you go to Leviticus chapter 7, you can see all the different five types of offerings, meat offerings and, and uh, grain offerings and all these uh, trespassing offerings. But the wave offering had an interesting thing. We always think of like waving like this, but it was waving this way. It was towards the altar and back, towards the altar and back. The heave offering was where they took the lamb, uh, the, the breast, or no, let's see, a shoulder of the lamb. The heave offering was this motion up and down. The wave offering was this motion back and forth. Both are the picture of giving and receiving blessing. That's what the picture is. So they go before the priest, and the priest put his hands underneath the... And it had to have been a weird setup. Jesus is a... Sorry, part of your wave offering is now bar mine. Um, the priest uh, had a part in the offering. So I don't know it had an odd, uncomfortable thing there. Hopefully he was a, a nice man. But his hands went under the person's hands as they were waving the offering towards the altar and back to themselves. And it's just a picture of the blessing that's given to God and he returns it to them. Give it to God, he returns it to Everything we have is that what a picture. 
Every single thing that we possess, we give it to God, he gives it back. He gave it to us first. And then when you hold it with open hands, that's how you'd have to hold it. It's a big, bloody lamb quarter, right? And you offer it to him. He's like, no, you can have it. And you take it back. It's like when your kids were little and they came and brought you the toy, real little. And they're like, here, daddy. And you get the toy, you're like, thanks. And then they go like this and you give it back. You don't care about the toy. Give them the toy. It's the same thing. The Lord cares about his creation. He says, offer it to me. I'll give it back. He says, I'm going to need your donkey for a minute. He, did, he says that uh, the wicked borrows and does not repay. The Lord's not wicked. He gave the man his donkey back. He just needed it for a second. But really, it was the Lord's donkey. The sheep are mine, the oxen are mine, and everything is his. And he loans it to us for a time. And he says, well, if you'll give it back, I'll give it right back to you. It's a real interesting thing going on there, that wave and heave offering. He lowers himself to ask the man for the thing that's his. Isn't that crazy? He goes to the man, he says, I'm going to need your donkey. The guy could have said no. And then he'll ask somebody else if somebody gives him a donkey, right? But he asked the man. He didn't go take the donkey. He says, go tell the man, the Lord needs the donkey. And the man goes, I mean, if the Lord needs the donkey, take the donkey. You, if you remember that one, um, that one uh, where David was wanting to buy the threshing floor, and the man says, just take the threshing floor. He says, no, no, I'll pay you for the threshing floor. But that's the spirit. That's the spirit of the believer. That's how it should look when the Lord asks for something of you. When God asked Abraham for his son, he gave him his son, and the Lord gave him back. That's the picture. It's a big picture. There's a lot going on there. Never saw that, did you? What a blessing to give what's not yours to the Lord and then have it returned to you. How proud was that man of his donkey after that? Remember Charlotte's Web? Remember that? Pig that good, you don't eat all at once or whatever. But he, the, the man is proud of his, of his pig. He's not going to let it go to the slaughterhouse. He brings it back. It's, it's, you know, his pig's a prize winner. The, the, the Lord gives to that man this special donkey that was broken by the Lord. I was talking to a, a friend of mine, McKinley, who breaks horses and, and all that stuff. And he was talking about how he would take these horses, these really wild horses, and take them to a feedlot out west. And those guys would ride them all the time and break them, and then they'd give them back to him. It's the same picture. He never lost custody of his horse. It's just they're using it. And when they give it back, it's a better horse. When he gets it back, it's been rode over and over and over. Now it's a broken and usable horse. Before, it's a worthless horse. Just a big bunch of meat walking around. But now it's usable, and it can be used, and it's functional. This man, the Lord himself broke this man's donkey. That's amazing. You'd be proud of that one. You'd have a wreath hanging around its neck all the time. The Lord rode my donkey. You'd be proud of it, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. So Jesus borrowed a number of things during his earthly ministry. He borrows a manger for his birth. He borrows a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Um, he borrowed from the lad the loaves and fishes. He borrowed the tomb. He borrowed the cross. That wasn't his. Somebody else made that. He just needed it for a moment. Um, he borrowed the chamber to have the Passover meal. He even, sends his, he even sends his disciples out in Matthew 10 saying, don't take extra silver or extra clothing or anything. He said, you go out there and the provision of the believers will provide it for you. It's all mine. 
If we could get that viewpoint, that's why in Acts with the early church, it was so stunning to people to see the generosity of people with other people. Because these believers, they said they held everything in common. It was very unusual. That's not what people do. You know, that's my car. Hey, man, can I use your car for a second? No, no, you're not using my car. That's my car. I might give you a ride in my car, in the back. Um, But these people when they understood what had been given to them, when you fully understand what's been given to you, you'll hold it lightly. Because this isn't it. This is it for now. But it is in eternity. All our savings is in eternity. This stuff here is temporal. I was talking to Mark this week about how God, or how Jesus telling that parable of the, of the wicked servant, where he goes and he makes these other agreements with people, you know, they owed more money, but he said, well, you know, just change the thing and make it this, make it this amount. You owe a thousand, just tell them you owe a hundred. And Jesus commends the man for using filthy lucre as a way of benefiting himself among men. It's just a tool. Money's a tool. We use the tool to build the kingdom. If you need my money, you can have my money. You need my car, you can have my car. If you need my cow, you can have my cow. If you need my donkey, you can have my donkey. Very fitting there. Very interesting. So the donkey ends up dressed for the occasion. It says they went away, found the colt. Some of them, uh, let's see, they bought the, they brought the colt, verse 7, 11, verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and set him up on it. And though we don't really understand the sacrificial system, this is really wild that I, in reading this, I, I believe this is the idea, is that uh, in the Bible, Exodus 13 is where you'll find this, um, The male donkey that opened the womb, the firstborn male donkey, was to have its neck broken. Anything that opened the womb, the firstborn male of anything, was to be killed as a sacrifice before God. However, in things like the firstborn son, there was a monetary redemption for its life. You could buy it back. You would take your firstborn son and break his neck. You take the monetary thing, you go give it to the priest, and you keep your son. Always the picture of redemption. Always the picture of redemption. With the donkey, the picture, though it was considered unclean, the donkey was to either be sacrificed by a broken neck in a certain way, or you could redeem it by an equally valuable male lamb, one-year-old lamb. So if you think about how long it takes, I'd, I'd say the gestation period on that, somewhere between 9 and 11 months on a donkey, a cow, it's about 9 months, so it's got to be something similar say it's nine or ten months somewhere in there so you lost the whole gestation period the nine months then you lose the year and a half till it's suitable to use for work or something and so you've lost you've got a lot of cost in this firstborn donkey but if you so choose you could break its neck and the next donkey was yours in the sacrificial system or you could take the lamb well the lamb has great value too because it feeds the family and it's it's food for today and if i break the lamb's neck and give it to the or if I slit the lamb's throat in that case, it, and I give it to the priesthood, it's gone. The priest gets it. But with the donkey, I get to keep the donkey. And it's kind of a wild deal because the donkey that carried Christ was a donkey that had been spared. He's actually carrying the sacrificial lamb on his back into Jerusalem. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You think that's a coincidence? 
And as the people saw Jesus in his triumphal entry, they did this spur-of-the-moment thing that I don't realize they knew what they were doing. Not just the wave offering thing, but it, they said they began to spread their clothes on the road and others began to cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And it's kind of like a one commentary, you know, I'm not sure I wasn't there. I'm sure some ended up on the road. But they, I think some of them, this guy made a lot of sense, he said they likely put them over the shrubs on the sides to kind of like decorate his way to make it more beautiful as he goes up through the path there. And they're, and they're putting it there, kind of like if you had military guys come home. Uh, we saw that in the past, and they put posters up, welcome back, and yellow ribbon around the tree and all that. It's kind of that decoration thing, doing, you know, it just celebrating and making it beautiful for his way of passage there. But in that, um, it's this, this joy is so great, they got to do something, and they don't know what to do. And that's what they do. They start doing that. But they would have done it for kings and, and conquering generals and things to, to earn their, um, their good credit or whatever with them. They would have done a similar thing for a conquering king. But they begin to cry out in jubilation in that, Hosanna. And this is where the wave offering, these people, it says they began to cut down the, the fronds and everything. They cut the fronds, they cut the branches, leafy branches from the trees, Matthew said, uh, what did Matthew say? Brought the donkey, laid the clothes. A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you think about what I just told you about the wave offering of waving it towards the altar and back to yourself, towards the altar and back to yourself receiving the blessing of the messiah as he's riding down the road that's what they were doing whenever i saw pictures of this as a kid or they reenacted it at church because it was a, a you know a bunch of gentiles and they didn't know better they're waving them like this but it was like we want your blessing we bless you give it back i'm gonna give you some give me some back have some over there i'm gonna take some back it was a very I mean, it was this exuberant thing, and I think it almost happened not as a traditional thing. This is what we should do. I think it came out of the fullness of their spirit, just like it says, um, uh, the living water pouring out of the innermost part of the man. I think it was that kind of thing. Like, they're so exuberant, so joyful, that they don't know what to do. And like, I got an idea. Let's cut down some branches, and we'll start waving at this guy. And we'll be having this blessing, and we blessing him, and he'll be blessing us back. I think they were so excited that they started doing that. And of all the things to quote, they quote this, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, lowly, sitting on a donkey. That's him. He's on the donkey. He's on the donkey. Throw your coats on the ground. Get some leaves. We'll wave it at him. Let's just start shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save. Save now, we beseech thee. Well, they were desperate for God to remember them. And, and they had left him in their sinfulness. But even in that, they knew that. And they just, please come back. Please hear us. They wanted to be restored. And here's the Messiah. And he, here's their chance. They know he's not God. They, in, their, in their traditions and teaching, they didn't expect him to be God. They just knew he was the one that God would send to restore them to God. 
I said that wrong. They, they didn't know that he was God. In their hearts, they didn't believe that he was God, but they knew he was Messiah who was going to reconcile them to God, to be clear on that. And this was their chance. Maybe he could heal their sicknesses and diseases. Maybe he could save them from financial and economic destruction. Maybe, they could, uh, maybe he could be uh, the guy that got Rome off of their backs and got the persecution of the Romans off of them. Maybe he could, like I said, heal them from sickness. Maybe he, this is the guy we've been looking for. And then the other people are like, yeah, he healed some people down there at Capernaum. He healed some people down there at Nazareth. Yeah, he healed some people here and healed people there. He raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the guy. This is the one I was telling you about. Oh, man, I'm going to go get me some branches. Wave, wave, wave. <laughs> you know, they're all excited. They just had their first truly glimmer of hope ever since Babylon when they had returned to Jerusalem. Though they were in Jerusalem, they were still under the foot of some other nation. They weren't truly free. They were at their mercy. They paid high taxes both to the temple and to, the, and to whoever was keeping them down. And so in that, they just, in that glimmer of hope, they begin calling out, we, we, we use the word Hosanna, but really it's save now. That's what they're saying. This is the guy. Come and save us. We're ready. Freedom. They're, they're doing the same thing. That's what they're doing. Anyway. Millions or ever how many thousands of people that lived in Jerusalem um, rejected Messiah. Even today, millions reject Messiah. Few, though it said a great multitude and that it went through the city, yes, there was a lot, but it wasn't all. Many people are fearful to recognize Christ as Messiah. They're definitely fearful to speak it with their mouth or to exemplify it with their life. They're not going to do that. But these people, they, they, they let the shackles fall off and they were free to worship in the only way they knew how. And they began quoting Old Testament scriptures to the Messiah as he's riding down the donkey down the road there. Um, however many it was, they start celebrating. And that in Psalm 118 and Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation uh, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know that word behold. You see, it's like 1,200 times in the Bible, especially in the King James. Behold, this and that. What it means is, looky over here. Look here. Behold. This is him. Look. Um, this is kind of wild. But history records that on this day, Jesus is coming in this gate. On another gate, Pontius Pilate's having a big parade. Did you know that at the same time that Jesus was coming, Pontius Pilate was having a parade on that day. There was something going on that they had, the, the Romans had got wind that the Jews, Jews had had uprisings in the past. The last one that we really, is very knowable that, that we would mention would be the Maccabean revolt um, in the, between Malachi and Matthew, the time of Malachi and Matthew in that 400 years. About 100 and some odd 40 years before Jesus, we have the Maccabean revolt where they rose up against the uh, one empire or another, and um, and then they were very successful, and they re they cleansed the temple. It's where we get the the feast of um, lights, festival of lights. What's the word? Hanukkah. Yeah, I'm telling you, mind like a steel trap right there. Uh, anyway, uh, so it was a relatively recently, and then here these Jews are getting excited about the things that Jesus had been doing, and the Pharisees are getting agitated, and Pontius Pilate says, "I'm going to have to do something." So he gets his big horse, he gets all his Roman guard and all that stuff, and they make a big parade, 
and they come in, and he tromps down the street with his horse and his big entourage there, and they go to his place, his high place there, castle there that he's in. And meanwhile, it's like, I'm just kind of thinking about it in my mind, like if a drone, you know, everything is from drones now, a helicopter, a drone, and you're flying over, and you're watching the two. And here's Jesus coming in in this little ragtag bunch of hooligans with the cloaks and the leaves and all that there. And over here is this one that's been really orchestrated, you know, and you will bow the knee because if you don't bow the knee, we'll kill you. And so one is by force and one is by joy and both are welcoming kings, except that one of the kings is a puppet king because he's only a king because Rome says he can be the king for that time and that place. And then when King Agrippa comes later, he, he's all groveling to King Agrippa when, um, when he speaks to him later. I mean, he's not even a real king. He's just a guy filling a, a role. But the king of kings, the prince of peace, he's on the donkey over here, small and lowly. And over here's big horse guy making a big scene, making a big splash. The son of God, Jesus, the righteous king of the line of David, coming in on the donkey. Anyway, Pontius demanding his kingdom by force. Jesus calling all men to repentance, reconciliation with the father, gentle, lowly. It's a big deal. It's a big picture, huh? One thing that Jesus was doing in this, I believe, is he's openly presenting himself as the Lamb of God, as the Messiah. He's being very open with it. Up till now, even when people mentioned it or those that were demon-possessed mentioned those things, he would uh, he'd say, don't tell anyone. Remember that? He heals the blind man. He heals the demoniac. He heals this guy, casts out demons, raises the guy. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it on the down low between you and me. We know. It's all that matters. But now, he's like, tell anybody you want, because now's the time. I think it's the need for witnesses or the accumulation of witnesses that we will see after there in 1 Corinthians 15, but we'll see all these that testified that, yes, he died on the cross, and yes, he was buried, and yes, he rose again. He's accumulating witnesses right now. Let's read this Mark 11. 11 through 18. It says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So he, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now he goes directly to the temple. Pilate goes to his place, his earthly ruling and reigning place, his place of authority. Jesus goes to his place of authority. Jesus went into the Jerusalem, into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around at all things, the hour was already late. Uh, just skip on now, verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry, seeing the, the fig tree. Keep going. 14. In response, Jesus said about the fig tree, since it wouldn't produce fruit, let no one eat fruit from here ever again. And his disciples heard it. They came into Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. It's, Pilate goes to his place of authority. It's, it's not as big as he thought it was. And Jesus goes 
right to the temple. I want you to go to Zechariah. Zechariah 9 is where we see that one scripture. But the way the book of Zechariah starts, Zechariah Malachi, it's the second to last book in the Old Testament. Great Old Testament book. I mean, they're all good. This one is particularly exciting. It has the lampstands. It has the horses, uh, the four horsemen that we see again in Revelation, we see in Ezekiel. But as the Lord is speaking to Zechariah, I wanted you to catch what the Lord says. In verse 2, Zechariah 1, verse 2. Remember now, Jesus is accomplishing these things. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers, Zechariah, Charlie Alva, Mark, Markelson, friends that are here. He's been very angry with your fathers. You've turned your backs on him. Your fathers have. You've not done that great either. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Three times the Lord of hosts says, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Look at verse 14. I mean, that's a downer. You got what you deserve. Your fathers are slackers. They're sinners. They, they've turned their back on me. They've done their own thing. They've continued in their wayward ways. Verse 14. So the angel who spoke with me said, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I'm exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, all the other nations. For I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. I I sicked them on Israel to draw them to myself, but they got into it too much, and they killed too many, and they persecuted them too much. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm returning to Jerusalem with mercy. Oh, Jesus on a colt. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion, and I will again choose Jerusalem. Yeshua came into Jerusalem that last week before the cross in a very public way. He wanted men to witness that he was there, but he really, he really, really loved the people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, man, how you've killed the prophets. I just want to be like a, a mother hen and gather you under my wings and protect you. But you won't come. And when you're out away from the mama hen, the coyotes and the eagles and the hawks and the mice and the rats and the weasels and the minks and the bobcats and everything else, they eat you. Just come get under my wings where it's safe. And they wouldn't do it. His whole goal was just that he could draw all men to himself, that they would just come to Messiah. They would just see how much they, that he loves them. He did it so that all men of all time would have the opportunity to be redeemed, just like the donkey. The re- donkey didn't have to have his neck broken because the Lamb of God rode upon his back and made the sacrifice for him. It took him instead. 
But just like the donkey, we're born an unclean sacrifice. We need redemption like the Leviticals, like the, like the, the Jewish oldest son. The Bible says we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. We need something, to someone, something to pay the price for us. And we, ain't, we don't have enough money to pay it. We've got to be redeemed. There's only innocent blood that will redeem us, and it's only a particular innocent blood that will redeem us. And remember that many of those that shouted Hosanna as he comes in the gate a couple, years, a couple days later, they're shouting crucify him. And we've done the same thing. Many people have received Christ at one point or another, maybe in a really shallow way. And in time, when it didn't suit them, they've said, crucify him. I, I have no need for you. I put you away. And then God puts them in peril and they come back. But he tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And we can never fall as believers. I'm trying to, I know that this was to Israelites in Israel and Jerusalem. I understand that. But the Messiah came that all men might be saved. The Lord's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you're an all. You're of the nations. And God's been angry with the nations because the, angry, the nations have turned their back on us. But he's a good God, a generous God, a merciful God, and he's not willing that any would perish. So he sends a man, the Son of Man, the Most High God, the only begotten Son, to die and shed his innocent blood on our behalf. And he comes riding in very lowly and humbly, but when he returns, it says he's coming back on a white war horse. And the sword, the sharp two-edged sword, comes out of his mouth. And with that, he'll judge the nations. And it says at one point there in Revelation, it talks about this, this battle of Armageddon. It says where the blood will be as high as a horse's bridle for 200 miles, about this high. And he'll call all the birds of the field and all the vultures and ravens, and they'll come and feast on the slain that were slain, and they'll do that for seven years. Seven years. The wrath of God revealed among men. But you can be by the gate. And you can say, Hosanna. And you can do the wave offering and, and bless him as he blesses you in return and gives you life and life more abundant. You can be there. You have a choice. Everyone has a choice every day. We must never fall for the kingdom of Pilate. The world says, do it my way or we'll kill you. Um, persecution is coming to the United States of America. Believe it or don't believe it, I'm telling you, you can mark it down, black letters, Dale said it on this day, I've said it a hundred times over the last 15 or 20 years. It's coming. It's coming rapidly. Believers are getting afraid to speak out. That's where this woke thing is coming from. They're afraid to speak against the wickedness that's in the world. But he says, if you don't proclaim me before men, I won't proclaim you before my Father. Proclaim me before men. What's the worst they can do to you? The world shouts its commands. Follow the way of men. Messiah says, all who, are you, all who are willing, come. If you want life, if you want eternal life, come, follow me. Just come follow me. And he'll care for you. It's good. Man. Jesus came the first time lowly. When he returns, it'll be much greater, much more terrifying for the just and the unjust. I believe a lot of people say, you know, I'm looking forward to his return. Yes. But the Bible warns us to be careful what you ask for. There's going to be fear and trepidation in the hearts of believers because many 
have walked a path that's very, it's right on the edge. It's right on the edge of righteousness. If you're not in the middle of the road of righteousness, then you need to be very careful. Examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. Be very careful. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We have a, a nice song, and as I think um, Emily's going to come and sing this. Um, I want you to listen to this song. You're going to sit there in humility before God, thinking about the blood that was shed for you, the sacrifice of the offering, how good it was of God to send his only begotten son to die in our place, to send him lowly on a donkey, that he could die on our behalf. I want you to just listen and we'll, we'll pray afterwards. From the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide. Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul, for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. 
there is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood, the blood that calls us sons and daughters. We are ransomed by our Father through the Stronger, oh, the wonder working power of the blood, the blood that calls us sons and daughters. We are ransomed by our Father through the Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus. It has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved into glorious light. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Was the blood applied? Glory to his name. Let's sing that together. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. This man has been repentant. He recognizes that his sinfulness had separated him from God. And he says a prayer. And if you're here today without the Without the Messiah, you don't know who Christ is. You don't recognize that he came in humbly on a donkey to save you. Verse 14 says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And I pray this for you today. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And 118, I pray that you could say this with me today, Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, sin now, prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. 
Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Have mercy on us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for going right to the temple and cleansing it and making it the place where all men could come and find you and find rest. Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Son which you sent on that day, the way that he was willing to come and be shamed on our behalf, that he would die a martyr's death on the cross, innocent, but with enough blood shed for all men of all time if they would but accept you as their Savior. Thank you for the fact that he did not stay dead, but he rose again three days later. And if anyone would call out in repentance and faith, save now, O Lord, you would. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for this place. I thank you for these people that have come. There's a good spirit here, Lord. There's a nice family here. I pray that you care for them. We're so grateful, Lord, though that storm came yesterday and people perished in other towns, but you didn't touch anyone here. I thank you that our trees stood up and they didn't fall on our homes. I pray that the grateful for the tornadoes that didn't come. I'm grateful for the waves that didn't that didn't hit. Lord, you're so good to us, and we don't recognize your goodness so often, Lord. And we ask for your forgiveness in that. Father, forgive us for where we fall short, Lord. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. Make us into the men and women of God that you would have us to be. Give us bold lips to speak the truth of salvation to others. And uh, Lord, go with us this day as we go about ministering to others, thinking of others more highly than ourselves. Use us, Lord, to bring others into the kingdom. And we ask you... Um, we give you all the glory and honor and praise. And we say, Hosanna, save now, O Lord. Bring your, bring your prosperity now, Lord, to your people. May your spirit fill this place, fill the people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am very glad you came today. And I pray that you'll come and eat with us. And if you have any prayer, things you want to pray about or, or come, come on up. I'd be glad to talk to you this morning. Health things you want to be prayed over, we'll pray for that. Um, law, you need to be saved. Today is the day of your salvation. Come on, don't wait. Don't wait till you leave. Um, you go out there and the things of the world are distractions. So let's eat together and, um, and God bless you all. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock, and then tonight we're going to have a short service. And then we're going to set up for the Passover meal there on Wednesday. So we'll look forward to seeing you tonight. God bless you all.